Hello, today I want to share with you about the church at Ephesus. And you may say, what on earth has the church of Ephesus all those years ago got to do with me? Actually, the, the church at Ephesus has an enormous amount to do with us. But let's turn to our text. It's Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through to 5. This is the risen Jesus Christ speaking to this church. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Let's look at the historical background of Ephesus, um, or rather the church at Ephesus. It was a mega church, it was a zealous church, it was an on fire church, it was uh, a very active church. And yet they had lost their first love. Um, what was Ephesus like, the city in which this church was founded? Well, it was a very proud city. It called itself the greatest metropolis of Asia. And it was also called the Gateway of Asia. And the reason is because of its harbor. It was the greatest in all of Asia. But what would happen is that the silt would build up and they constantly had to remove the silt so that these great ships laden full of goodies could come into the harbor at Ephesus. However, um, right now uh, it no longer exists because the silt has built up to such an extent that the sea is miles away from where it used to be. And so ships of blessing cannot possibly come in. And it's rather like that in our lives, in our Christian lives, that the silt, the things, the other things that come into us, the pressures, the cares, and the worries of this world come in. And it's like silt that builds up. And the blessings that God wants to flow to us from him cannot get to us because all these other things have come between us and him. And so it was also called, um, or rather it was the home of what was called one of the seven wonders of the world um, in those days. And it was a massive temple that was built to Diana, the goddess Diana. And actually Ephesus was a center of pagan worship. Now you think, well this doesn't look really very fertile ground in which to sow the gospel. However, there was a gentleman called Mr. Trench, and this is what he wrote about the church, or rather about Ephesus. Nowhere did the word of God find kindlier soil, strike root more deeply, or bear fairer fruits of faith and love. And that gives you an idea of what the church in Ephesus was like. Let's return to the text and see what the risen Lord Jesus Christ is saying to his church. And remember, he's saying it to us. Now he says, I know your works. You may be laboring church. The pastor may not notice what you are doing. Nobody may notice what you're doing. You may be working with the children and feel that all I have to do is with bottles and nappies and nobody knows what I'm doing or that nobody thanks you. 
Believe me, the Lord Jesus Christ knows your works and he will reward you. So he says, I know your works. I know your labor, your toil. Now the, the word for labor there really means that it's by the sweat of their brow. It takes everything, the whole of their mind, the whole of their soul, the whole of their spirit, all their heart. This is the kind of labor that they have been giving to the Lord. And the Jesus says, I know your patience. It's not like, oh, well, I'm patiently waiting for a bus. No, it's perseverance in the face of trial. And that means that it's steadfast endurance, which actually means it's, it's courageous and it turns, or rather it accepts the suffering that comes with the persecution for the sake of the word with joy. It produces joy and the grace of God in the hearts of those who are suffering. Oh, that we had the same uh, respect, as it were, for suffering for the gospel and were counted all joy as an honor to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear, you cannot endure those who are evil. You know, a lot of flotsam and jetsam would, would be attracted to these churches and they would um, try to drain the life out of them. And, but no, they, they have been very good. They've applied all the tests. And he goes on to say, you have tested those who say that they are apostles. If someone comes along to you and says, I am an apostle, it's right and proper to test. Anyway, they tested these apostles and they found that they were not apostles. In fact, they were liars. And Jesus said, you have persevered, you have patience, and you have labored. And he says, for my name's sake, their motives were right, their hearts were right. And you have not become weary. So many times, ministers become burnt out and weary and, and become lackadaisical. Believe me, I have been tempted. But these people, they did not become weary in well-doing. But verse 4, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Then he tells them what to do. When the Lord corrects us, he always tells us how to get right. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Obviously, they'd fallen a long way. Repent and do the first works. You know, their deeds, I'm just thinking of a wife, she loves her husband, they're very much in love, they get married, and then they have children, and she gets so occupied with keeping the house nice, and that is good, with all the washing, the shopping, the cooking, the cleaning, the children, and all these things, and providing the husband with his meals and doing his washing and ironing, but she forgets to have fellowship and time with him, and he feels left out. And that's what we can do with the Lord. We can be so busy for the Lord, um, so busy doing for him, that we forget him. And he is the most important person in all the world, in all our lives. And so we see that Jesus says this, I have this against you. You have left your first love. But before we kind of judge these Ephesians, um, let's have another look 
um, at what they were really like. As we, we, I told you about the labor, they, they labored hard for the Lord. They endured persecution. They tested evil men. Um, they were very good in testing and rooting out false doctrine. They had been so faithful to apply the tests of scripture and had weeded out all evil and misguided men. And they had got orthodoxy, as it were. But, you know, they'd lost something in the process. And for this reason, Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Is Jesus saying that to you? You have left your first love. I love this verse in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he speaks to them saying, I remember you, the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. Who is your first love? What was it like when you were first in love? Oh, I remember it well. When I fell in love with Derek, I was on cloud nine, and I was, uh, wanted to tell everyone about him and this wonderful man that I was about to marry and I was so honored that he wanted to marry me and there's a little story of uh, we just gotten engaged we were actually in Switzerland which is where his mother lives and we'd gone shopping together and I was buying some lovely strawberry jam and Derek appeared from around the side of um, these shelves and I, I remember my jaw just dropping. I thought, oh, doesn't he look lovely? And I dropped the whole pot of jam. I mean, it just went everywhere. And the girls were so sweet. They could tell I was madly in love, and they just cleared the mess up. And I kind of just floated away. And I remember in, in America, when we were living there for a little while, it was Derek's birthday, and I was really frightened of these freeways. Believe me, you have to approach them at 50 miles an hour, and that scared me. But because I loved him so much... I endured the fear, as it were, um, to go clear across town and buy him some balloons. One of which says, happy birthday, honey, you are scrumptious. And I would just tie people down and just tell them how wonderful this man was and is. Um, and Derek and I, we used to love to walk and talk and, and share our dreams and, and pray together. And remember what it was like when you first, as it were, fell in love with Jesus, when you first realized how much he loved you and what he'd saved you from. Remember. Jesus says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do. Jesus, as I said, is making his appeal to those inside the church and through the ages, he's still saying to his church, remember the height from which you have fallen because you have left your first love. He is our first love. He is our reason for being. I just wanted to tell you a little story about to, to demonstrate the power of remembrance. There's a young man, and he lived in a village, and he used to sit next to this sweet little girl who was very innocent and beautiful and lovely. And they spent their school days together. And uh, he 
decided that he could get a better job and, and do better for himself if he went to the big city. So he went to the big city and he fell in with the wrong crowd. And he learned to lie, steal and cheat. And one day he was on the streets doing his usual thing of pickpocketing and he'd had a, a, a marvellous pickpocket. You know, he'd, he'd taken the man's wallet, there was plenty of money in it, and he was kind of patting himself on the back saying, yeah, well done. And he just happened to turn around and he saw this girl who he remembered from his youth back home in the village. And she was still beautiful and lovely and innocent. And he was struck to the heart and he remembered the height from which he had fallen, how he had changed. And he went home and he was devastated. He was so grieved in the very center of his being at what he had become. He called upon the name of the Lord to repent and ask God's forgiveness and God's help to change. Remember the first time when you realized how much Jesus loves you. Repent means to acknowledge a fault. It means to say, I am wrong. I have sinned. Um, and we can react in different ways. Either just be hopeless and say, oh, well, that's the way I am. I'll never change. Or we can be filled with resentment against life and against God. It's God's fault. He didn't give me, I was in love with this person and they went off and married someone else and it's all God's fault. I have heard that. Or we can try to regain the old excitement through forbidden ways. But Jesus says, repent. He says, repent and return to your first love. Return to me. God is calling out, return to me. My arms are open. I love you and I won't scold you. I will just enfold you in my love. You see, the sorrow of repentance is meant to lead us to fall upon the mercy of God. Another favorite scripture of mine is 1 John 1, 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not just that, to cleanse us completely from all unrighteousness. God is ever there to forgive and cleanse us. And so we come that and we, we, we thank God for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then we need action. We need corresponding actions to our faith of turning to God. And this is where the Holy Spirit helps us. He is the one who's called alongside to help us. We need to spend time praying in the Spirit. And Jesus tells us to do the things that we first did. And I remember that my prayer time was such a special time. Don't dwell on the hardships of your life, on how your husband irritates you, on your neighbors or your children or your boss or, or your colleagues at work. But put Jesus first. As soon as you wake up, before you've even got your eyes open, say, Lord Jesus, I love you with all my heart and with all my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength. You are my life. You are my Lord. I adore you. Say that before anything else. Magnify him and not your troubles. 
Someone said to me, love Jesus more than your troubles. Do you know I realized I was very attached to my troubles. Love him more. Turn your back on your troubles as you have that special time with him and just focus on him. It's his time. It's for him. He will always take care of you. He's never going to gossip about you. He's never going to reject you. He's never going to abandon you. He's always going to lift you up and he's always going to strengthen you if you will let him. But you must give him first place, always. Speak out, as you speak out your love, actually your love grows. And I just wanted to lead us in a prayer and ask the Lord to forgive us for our lukewarmness. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask, I ask you to forgive me for all my lukewarmness. Forgive me, Father, for allowing the things of the world and the worries of the world and other things and other people to come between us. Lord, thank you for drawing me back to you. Cleanse me, Lord, with the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you, to help me to stay close to the Lord and to love him as he deserves. Lord, thank you for saving me from hell. Thank you for your life that lives within me. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to show you a video, which is a recording of a sketch that our people did in OBC. And I just want it to speak for itself. Let the anointing and the Holy Spirit of God move upon you as it draws you close to the Lord. Because it shows that despite all the things you've been into, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus is always drawing you back to himself. And he paid a price to get you back to him. And he wants to live in close communion with you and fellowship. God bless you. Okay.